Hey, this is Maddie Curley, and you're listening to the Airborne Mind Show. Hey guys, Ms. Bahawk here. Thank you so much for joining me today and welcome back to the show. Before we get started, make sure you head over to theairbornemind.com and you sign up for the newsletter. Lots of cool coaching videos and training resources coming out in the next few weeks. So if you sign up for that, you will stay updated with the latest news. And if you have a couple minutes, head over to the uh, head over to iTunes and please leave a five-star review. If you love what we've been putting out, it would be greatly appreciated. I love to hear what you think. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. So something that I just picked up and uh, will be listening to in just a few minutes is called The Daily Show, an oral history as told by Jon Stewart, the correspondents, staff, and guests. Um, if you're somebody who likes behind the scenes and you like to kind of see what goes into the creative process, uh, you might enjoy this one. I've studied people like Larry King to see kind of what makes his interviewing style successful, and I find it really interesting uh, to take a look at talk show hosts and see what they're doing that works and you know what I could use. Um, so you may or may not find that interesting. If you do, head over to audibletrial.com slash the airborne mind show and you can get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial. And of course it does not have to be the Daily Show book. There's been tons of books recommended by previous guests that you can pick up as well. So once again, audibletrial.com slash the airborne mind show. So today we get to chat with Maddie Curley. Um, I think you realize by now you know, how much respect I have for any type of creative, you know, um, some numbers that blew my mind when Maddie was talking about this was there's about 7,000 people that are just trying to get agents to get in the game to try out for a certain role. And out of that 7,000, there's about 1,000 submissions to get the role. And out of 1,000, there's about 250 people who actually get to go try out. And obviously out of the 250, there's one person who gets that role. And you know, in a world where you are facing constant rejection, you know, to be able to get back up, to be able to keep moving forward, um, I don't know. I just think there's something admirable to that. You know, there's something to learn from that. In any type of creative endeavor, you know, there's certainly an element of luck and there's certain things that you, you know, can't control. Um, I found it really interesting that what drew her to CrossFit was that it was something you could work at to get better. It was something that was trainable. It was something, you know, where you could uh, put time and energy into and you could watch these building blocks kind of add up. Um, I just found it really interesting when we started chatting about the why. And, um, you know, she was a part of a movie called Stick It. Took about 51 days to film and had a $28 million budget. The reason I find that absolutely insane is because she co-wrote and starred in Chalk It Up, which is now on Netflix. And that is, you know, kind of the sequel to Stick It. And this was filmed in 12 days with a budget of $150,000, which is absolutely insane. Um, so to kind of hear, you know, what went into that, you know, what was like the why behind the movie? Um, I don't know, just to kind of get inside her head a little bit. Um, I'm pretty excited. So with that being said, please enjoy the show. Maddie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so just to kind of give some people, you know, context behind this episode. Um, so I have a cousin who does film scores in Bollywood. And when I first like talked to him about it, I had no idea, right? But when he visited America and we were chatting, um, the way that he kind of like talked about his craft and what he does, it was really cool to me because it gave me a different lens when I was watching, you know, movies and TV shows and things like that. Like you start to think about it, you appreciate it a little more, right? Like if there was no music or uh, things didn't line up like video and audio wise, like it, it, the experience is completely different and there's so much that goes into a movie. So that's kind of why I'm excited to have you on is because, you know, you've written uh chalk it up you've been in it and so it's going to be really cool to kind of get your perspective on things and give people another lens thank you yeah it's funny it's interesting that you say that because when we first had to watch the film we watched it with no correction sound score music or special effects so it's 
crazy when you watch it from that to what it is now. Right, yeah. And um, so we just had Dave Spitz on the show, and he articulated something that I've been really trying to communicate with the audience for a while now, but he said it really well. And he was pretty much saying, like, the questions and the things that he likes to talk about revolve around fulfillment. And he's really fascinated with the why, right? So like, why does somebody like what drives somebody to want to do CrossFit? What drives somebody to want to become a great weightlifter? And it's kind of the same why as maybe, you know, a CEO of Fortune 500 company, what drives him to trek up to the, you know, top of Mount Everest. And so if we can kind of be aware enough to catch the overlap, I feel like you can, you know, figure out a way to apply the hustle to any discipline. And so uh, I want to know a little bit about kind of like your why, like what, what kind of got you into acting? What got you into writing? How did you get started in all of this? Um, Well, I definitely was like, love performing since I was little. So obviously, in gymnastics, everything's sort of a performance and you're being judged. But even when I wasn't doing gymnastics, I was constantly making up dances with my friends. And my best friend, Sarah Udi, growing up would tell you that she always knew I was going to be an actor because I'd make her put on sketches when I was little. And like, of course, I would always be like the cooler character. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like I was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and she was Santa, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And And so she would say, like, she's known forever I wanted to do that. But I think it wasn't until college when I realized that's something you could actually pursue um, acting full out that I really got into it. And I love it because I like the way it makes you feel. Honestly, when I watch TV, like... (laughs) Every time I watch Modern Family, I end up texting my boyfriend and being like, this show is so good. It's so well written. It makes me laugh every time and it almost makes me cry every time. And I feel like to give people that release from the real world is one of the coolest experiences you can have where they're going to go in. They're either going to feel motivated by the end or they're going to be laughing or if they're depressed, they need to have a little cry out. Like being able to give that to people to me is just such an amazing feeling. That's awesome. And give us a little bit of background on your like gymnastics career and CrossFit. Like you do a lot and you've been doing yeah. gymnastics since you were young. So fill us in a little bit about that. Yeah, I started gymnastics when I was four. I started competing when I was six. And um, I got I, I really love gymnastics because I got very good very quickly. But I also have been very dedicated. So I'm I'm not always one that gets every skill quickly, but um, I'm also one that like really never gives up. Um, so after I sort of went level 10, I was at level 10 for almost six years trying to get good enough to go elite, which is the highest level. And I would beg my coaches to go elite. And finally, after my sixth year, they let me and I ended up winning elite nationals, which was kind of cool because the, the judging was different then and it wasn't necessarily how good your skills were, but how consistent. So at that particular meet, a lot of the other girls with better skills than me ended up falling, and I stayed on, and so that's how I ended up winning this meet, but it was great because then I ended up getting a full college scholarship for gymnastics. And then CrossFit came about, actually after gymnastics, there's like a kind of joke in the gymnastics community is you always get like fat after you quit gymnastics because we don't don't know how to eat because you're used to working out literally four hours a day, six days a week, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you're just not (laughs) so I was like going to gold's gym and I was miserable and I happened to see this guy doing handstands and I got so excited and I was like you're doing handstands in gold's gym (laughs) and and he what turns out he was training this other guy and that other guy ended up uh talking to me because he was actually annoyed with me at the time that I was distracting his trainer but he's like hey you should try this thing crossfit and I went to a park and brought weights out of a car and worked out in a park. And then I was like, this is kind of competitive and fun and feels like gymnastics again. And that's where it all started in 2008. And, uh, and then he was like, hey, you should um, come work for my gym. And I'm like, oh, gosh, okay. <laughs> and so I went and took my L1. And this was so great. Uh, I love telling people this story that are just starting out. But like when I took my L1, you know, you only had 10 minutes to finish Fran. And they actually had to stop me because I didn't finish in time. <laughs> and they were like, oh, Maddie, we're going to have to ask you to stop because that's the 10-minute mark. And I remember calling uh, Andy, my coach at the time, and being like, I don't know why I was I, – I thought I finished Fran last time. And he's like, 
right, but you didn't use RX weight. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> so, hilarious. Yeah. And then CrossFit just became this like, oh, just great energy in my life because with acting, it's not something you can necessarily work. You can work hard at it. Mm-hmm. No question. That's what I'm doing. I'm always going to do that. But as hard as you work, it doesn't guarantee a job. You know, a lot of it's still going to be luck. A lot of it's going to be, you know, which if people just happen to like you um, and the right time, the right place. But CrossFit's nice because it is something you can work at. And I love anything that you can like constantly work at and get better and see those improvements. So I think that's what really drew me to CrossFit because it gave me sort of a happy place in between acting jobs where you're like, I don't know what else to do in acting to get better. So I always joke that I have like a PhD in acting with as many classes as I've taken and, um, you know, roles that I've attempted and shows and theater and plays and improv sketches I've done. Yeah, that's really fascinating that you say that because I feel like uh, as as somebody who is maybe in the audience, like we're pretty everybody's kind of a critic when it comes to entertainment. Like when you sit down and you want to watch a movie or you want to hear some music, like, you know, you're kind of looking for that release that you talked about, right? Like you want to be entertained. And so I, I have a tremendous respect for anybody who's on the other side and who kind of, you know, puts together a piece of art. And I think, uh, to define art, something maybe that might not work. You know, I feel like it's really mm-hmm. cool for that person to kind of uh, put it all together and, and put it out there and it may not work. So, you know, there's this line I came across when I was watching Chalk It Up today and it was, you know, our greatest glory is not in falling, but rising every time we fall. And I think I sent you this uh, quote that I heard Brene Brown talk about in an interview. And are you familiar with Brene Brown at all? No. Okay, so she's like an academic researcher, and she focuses on vulnerability, courage, authenticity, and shame. And she researches this stuff pretty deeply. So, you know, she knows what she's talking about. And she asked, researched, and answered this one question about um, pretty much who rises strong, who gets their asses kicked on a regular basis, and gets back up with more tenacity and courage just in the course of a day. And the answer to that question was creatives and those who are in the special forces. So I thought that was really fascinating because I'm familiar with kind of, um, you know, Stephen Pressfield's work at the War of Art. And he talks a lot about this resistance and like the, you know, internal battle that people who are creative kind of have to go through day in and day out. And so I'm curious, you know, what were some of the struggles for you that no one really knows about or talks about that you went through over the years to really pursue your acting and your writing? Um, I think some of the biggest things are uh, when an agent or manager drops you trying to find new people because one it feels like a blow to your you know ego is like they don't believe in me and then you're scrambling to find someone else because you always want to have representation because without representation you don't get auditions the other thing that's hard is if you don't do your best once you do have the auditions that's a huge blow because then you think, oh, they're never going to bring me back in the room. And there's that saying that's like, no news is good news, Mm -hmm. which is so not true in (laughs) acting. If you don't hear anything, you didn't get the part. Right. Um, And so that's really hard. I mean, my poor mom has probably been the one that's had to deal with like um, the sadness that comes from the career. And she's so positive because she's always like, well, this person succeeded at this time and this person took him this many years. And like, she's always telling me, she's like, you know, it took Amy Adams nine years before she got her first feature film. And, and Johnny Depp didn't have a successful film until this. And like, I just love that she does that because it is hard. And even like, I feel like now that people are watching that movie, La La Land, Mm -hmm. they're sort of getting the idea of all the struggles that you do go through, which is funny because in the movie, Emma Stone's character is like, it's been six years. And I'm like, girl, I've been out here 11 years, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I was sitting in a room full of actors watching that movie. Cause there was a SAG um, screening of it, mm-hmm. which was honestly really cool too. Cause we're all sort of have that camaraderie, like, yep, we're doing this. We're doing this grind day in and day out. So I think people just don't know that that's, it's just constant rejection. Like, if you have a 25% callback rate, you're so rare and that's such a huge, huge rate. And, um, and even once you book a film, like book a TV show and film again, that means that probably 250 people, um, went in for that role and that was narrowed down from a thousand submissions. And of those a thousand submissions, you know, 
7,000 people like are still trying to get agents just to be able to submit for that kind of thing. So, right. yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with, uh, you know, I feel like entertainment when you're on the other side and you are, you know, somebody who's in the audience and you're, you know, you're watching a show or you're sitting down to watch a movie or listen to music, like you're, you're a ruthless critic. You know what I mean? Like you're searching yes. for, you're searching for something, you're searching for a certain emotion or release, whatever it might be. Um, but when you kind of think about it from the person on the other side, like there is so much that goes into just like this one piece of, you know, this content, right? Yeah. And the thing is, they're wanting to give you that, which is even funnier to think about because right. like there's been time I mean, I did this horror film. Uh, it was like a horror thriller a couple months ago. And I remember there was one scene and I like begged the director to do it again because I was like, I didn't give it. I didn't give it what it needs. It wasn't it wasn't what it needs. And he's like, we got to move on. We don't have time. And I just remember like going back to my car and like that night and just being so sad because it's like that wasn't the moment. It wasn't right. So like. The actors want to give you that too. Right. And uh, yeah, so you were just telling me that the the movie Chalk It Up was filmed in 12 days. That's insane. Yes, it is insane. It was a 90-page script. It was shot in 12 days. And some people shoot for short films in that time. To put it in perspective, the movie Stick It that I was in, mm -hmm. uh, the Disney film, that was a 51-day shoot, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was a $28 million movie, and our budget was uh, significantly smaller. <laughs> right. Um, it was about 150000 Um, So I feel like that helps people understand, like, when they're like, well, it's not as good as Stick It. You're like, well, yeah, <laughs> because it's a little different. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so give me the, like, the 30,000-foot view of Chalk It Up. Like, what was the bigger picture that was kind of going through your mind? And you also have somebody that helped, you know, that you write with, and that's uh, Be Buff, right? Bro yeah, Be Buff. Yeah. So tell us <laughs> tell us a little bit about, you know, that the why or that, you know, that uh, if we were to zoom out a little bit and look at Chalk It Up, what was kind of behind that? Uh, well, addition to in addition to my mom, Brooke is the other person who's been through every heartbreak and every excitement in my life. She's my best friend. And when I first came out to L.A., uh, I started calling her all the time because she was one of my best friends in college. And I was getting all these scripts at the time. And I was like, oh, gosh, I just like feel like we could do something, too. We could write our own thing. And so it started out like, let's do a sequel to Stick It. But then I started going to all these camps because of Stick It and noticed that none of the little girls were watching Stick It. And I was like, why? <laughs> yeah. and, and it was because it was PG-13. Gotcha. And then the TV show Make It or Break It came out, and I went to a network test for that, which was really frustrating because it came down to four girls, and then the girl that got Payson, uh, that was the part I went out for, so that was a bummer. And she was a dancer and not a real gymnast, and I was so angry. Oh, wow. But um, yeah, but she was a really sweet girl. I remember meeting her in the room and being like, oh, she's too nice. I don't like her. <laughs> um, but uh, And then I'm still going to these camps, and no one's watching Make It or Break It because it's too raunchy. And I was like, this is terrible. Like all these little girls want to have gymnastics to watch and they're not allowed to. And so Brooke and I were like, we have to work on, um, quote, stick it to at the time and make mm -hmm. it into a good film. So by the time we actually shot the movie, it was in it's like 24th or 26th draft. I mean, it was so many drafts and we had finally like become better writers over the years. We've written a ton of other stuff. We'd like, finally made some short films we really had a better understanding of what it took to be writers and so we wanted to make something we knew mm -hmm. and we also wanted to have a niche audience and one of the big things about if you do become a filmmaker is you want to be able to sell and pay back your investors and mm -hmm. so we had a game plan that we thought no matter what we'd be able to pay back our investors by having this like you know, sort of corner on the market in the gymnastics community and especially with younger kids where they don't have anything else to watch. Very Although cool. there is that movie full out now um, that a girl from UCLA made. And so I haven't gotten to ever talk to her, but I like am happy for her as well. Yeah. Uh, so what are some of those things that you feel like you've learned over the years uh, when it comes to writing? Oh, gosh, so many things. Like I think... Um, the arc of your main character is one of the biggest things because you need to see them make a change. So now, I mean, as I watched movies, I always knew they were doing that. But right. once you're writing, you're like, oh, now it makes sense to why this person who seemed like 
sort of a doofus at the beginning or like something like Mrs. Doubtfire where it's like, yeah, he's not a good dad. And by the end, he's a really good dad because he learns by pretending to be a female nanny, you know. Um, and the same thing with Chalk It Up. It's like, okay, she's just boy crazy. And, and then she needs to learn that like she has these great friendships and that's so much more important. And then and she can be more than um, what her parents have sort of set her up to be. And she can be a teammate and she can be smart and and not act like a doofus so that's one of the big things I think another thing is just um with comedy you have to have almost like a joke a page um and that's one thing that's more difficult I think that honestly dude that 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 is the one thing and me and uh, Brian McKenzie talked about this when he was on but I have such a respect for comedians or anybody who has that funny you know funny gene to them or that has that skill uh where they can make people laugh because it you get instant feedback like if you kind of think of people who are maybe stand-up comedians right it's like either people laugh at your joke or either they don't and like it's just it's such a high pressure situation you know it is one of the hardest things like honestly it's funny that all the oscars always go to dramas because there's a lot of times where like comedic actors can go do a drama, but I don't see that many dramatic actors who like turn around and put on a mind blowing comedic performance, you right. know, like it is, I totally agree. Like I think comedians are just the cream of the crop of the actors. If you can make people laugh. You have gifts beyond belief. So what are some things um, like when you're kind of you said a joke per page, right? So is it more of a kind of mechanical process that like, uh, you know, Jerry Seinfeld kind of has or is it very like off the cuff? Like, how does that kind of work? How do you build that into it? Um, it sort of depends on the script. So we have some that are more like dramedies and then, you know, it can be more situationally funny. Um, if it's like a sitcom, we have the hardest time writing sitcoms, to be honest, because mm -hmm. those have to be like funny. Ha ha. Like <laughs> you need to be la you need to be laughing out loud. And that's very hard for us. Uh, yeah, I just think, you know, there's a lot of rules. There's like rules of three and there's like always heightening. And those are things you kind of I've learned a lot just from taking improv classes, honestly, about comedy. Um, but I still, it's something I'm honing in. I was even looking on the online yesterday. I was like, I need a, I need a comedy writing class just so I can really get good at this in the meantime, while we're still writing dramas. That's impressive. So like, do you have to, do you feel like you go and kind of test it out on people? Kind of like, I guess, stand up comedians would like once you're done writing it, do you kind of check in with other people and be like making sure that this is funny? Yes. Well, it's very hard to get people to read your scripts, especially in L.A., because no one cares and everybody has one. Mm -hmm. um, so that's always a tough thing. So a lot of times Brooke and I will submit for feedback that you pay for, and it's from like professionals that will read it, and then we'll get their feedback, which is really helpful because um, they read so many a day. So if you're making them impressed, you know that you've got, you're in a good place. And they also provide really valuable feedback most of the times. But I still take classes, too, to help. And then I have a few friends that I'll trade with. And that's the best because then they're getting something out of it, too, because I'm going to read theirs and give them notes. And then then they don't feel like – I don't feel as bad at having them read mine. Right. But there, I, Yeah, sorry. What were you saying? No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, it, it fascinates me. Like, there's so much that goes into writing and into comedy, like – it, it looks so effortless when you kind of watch a Netflix special or somebody kind of doing it on stage. Uh, I think even like Jay Leno, uh, I think he has like a team of joke writers, right? That kind of yeah, like write sure. all day for him. He gets, he gets to filter through like hundreds of jokes and kind of pick it and make it his own and all that kind of stuff. So it looks so effortless on screen, but behind the, behind the scenes, there's so much going on. And that's what I think fascinates me. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like gymnastics in that you watch a routine in the Olympics and they make it look super easy. And then any CrossFitter knows that's gone to do a bar muscle up. They're like, oh, holy crap, this stuff is hard. And like, okay, imagine now doing like a bar muscle up to a cast handstand to a release move where you're do basically doing letting go of the bar, turning in the air and re-catching it, you know? Like they make it look easy. And yeah. that's what good writers do. They make it look so easy. That's cool. Um, so there's one thing like 
fiction, I haven't really ever, you know, written or I haven't read too much of fiction either, but I'm recently kind of starting to kind of have more of an interest in it. And I read this one uh, book, I think it's called Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit by Stephen Pressfield. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did I you... bought that. I still, I haven't bought. I just haven't opened it. Yeah. It's like sitting in my room. And I'll, I'll actually link that up for anybody who wants to read it because I'm pretty sure it's like a free PDF somewhere online. Uh, but it was written by St- Stephen Pressfield. So I was like, I have to read it. And that just opened up kind of my perspective for like, I don't know, the structure of the processes. Like there's so many things that go into fiction writing. And I just noticed that he has a blog where he talks about like what goes into fiction writing. And something that uh, fascinated me was like how – is there is there personal themes that kind of uh, fiction evolves from? Like, are there certain things in Chalk It Up that, you know, came from your experiences and, and Brooke's experiences directly that kind of, you know, you you had to turn – you turned into a movie and you turned into a certain scene? Like, could you dig into that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think 100% that comes into play. You can't help but – kind of delve into your past experiences and I honestly think some of the best writing is is if you can broaden that and and use your imagination more and I feel like as actors especially we're taught to just sit and try to imagine and think of things outside of our own life because a lot of times you're not just playing things in your own life and um and that makes it a big big deal but yeah when we were writing chalk it up like one, we watched a lot of movies similar, which helped. You know, mm-hmm. we watched Legally Blonde a thousand times and Bring It On and, like, basically every teen movie from the 1990s because um, we wanted to have – we wanted kids to have something like that at this time that we had, um, but with gymnastics, obviously. And then we pulled from our past experiences. Like, I definitely wasn't um, super boy crazy and hoping for a husband in college, <laughs> but <laughs> – but, um, I definitely was later. So, uh-huh. um, and I was like, Oh, like once I quit gymnastics, I was like, boys, you know? And, and so it's like, that's something fun to play into. And then, um, just like the idea of obviously no real gymnastics team could be created from other teams, but we love the idea of showing how hard the sport is. Yeah. And, and we just liked, you know, people going through that sort of like crashing experience and, uh, and I feel like that's what a lot of CrossFitters go through too when they're first learning gymnastics, like learning handstand walks and and trying to like understand your body and time and space. So we wanted that to be a part of it. And uh, we also really wanted her to be smart because we just love, like we both want to be smarter all the time. We love reading and Brooke is uh, an avid, avid reader. I'm Half the time I'm just like trying to keep up with her. <laughs> I'll be like, recommend a book now. I'm in a book club now, so it's good because I read like a book a month. And is this a lot um, of fiction? We have a cycle. So it goes one fiction, one classic, one nonfiction. Like the guy that runs it is my boyfriend and he he has a, a really cool cycle and he's always researching to find what's like um, what's hip and also like things that are going to be fun to talk about in a group and really push you to like question yourself and cause debates and stuff. Very cool. So somebody I find really interesting is uh, Brian Koppelman. He has his own podcast, and I think uh, the movie that I think that I remember watching, I think he wrote the Oceans series, right? Like oh, Oceans. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think he's Those done so good. a bunch of other things as well. But, you know, it's it's cool hearing his story and the behind the scenes. Like when he first started writing, he had an hour a day, and it was him and his partner. And, you know, he he's like the best person to like look into if you're somebody who gets writer's block and things like that. Because he tells you, he's like, if you only have an hour a day and you really force yourself to get into it, like words just start coming out. And uh, anyway, so do, do you have people like that that you kind of look up to, like certain influences that are maybe writers, actors? Yes. I was really lucky. I worked for, um, I got an internship through a CrossFit friend with uh, Bobby Moresco who wrote Crash. Mm-hmm. And watching him, like being his intern was huge because his rule was to write three pages a day. And he had like an eight hour day because he'd already won an Oscar. So he was just a writer. But to have it be so clear, like he wants to end the day with three pages. And that sounds so little, right? Yeah. But, but it's, a ton really if you're doing that all the time then you're researching enough to have a really good script so that's 
that's like was my goal at first, but now I kind of do more like you were saying, Brian, I have a, a timer where I'm like, all right, you're going to sit and try for 45 minutes. And that's actually been a New Year's resolution um, this year that I sort of started last year, but really came into practice this year. And, uh, and that's helped me immensely because once you are in it, then you get excited about your characters and like they'll do things you, you didn't expect, which sounds crazy. But you start really getting into their minds and stuff. And you're like, oh, like Brooke will call me and be like, President Higgins is going to do this. And I'm like, oh, it's brilliant, you know? Yeah, that's cool. So like when it's acting, you know, you mentioned this last time we chatted about uh, that article we did. And it was like when it's acting, you have to allow yourself to really feel. And that was hard for you because as a gymnast, you had to pretty much kind of hide, you know, all those emotions in practice. So tell us a little bit about that. Like what you hear kind of in Hollywood, like Johnny Depp gets really into his character and like people go out of their way to really like encapsulate, you know, that feeling and stuff like that. So could you touch on that a little bit? Like what are some things you have to do to really like be your character? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, like I said, in gymnastics, like I, if I was crying, I'd either be sent to the bathroom or I'd be sent in front of a mirror to look at how like dumb I looked and stuff. And this was at like, eight to 10 years old. Yeah. So a little, a little traumatizing. Um, but then as an actor, um, the, like getting into, especially like an emotional scene, like I was talking about during, um, that horror film I did, there's a part where my best friend starts trying, he's demon possessed and starts trying to like rape me and then ultimately kill me. And so getting into that mindset is sort of terrifying. And for me, um, it helps to like talk to someone that I'm close to or the director or just someone I trust. And whether it's about something personal or um, just about the character to start getting more and more in their mindset and talking out loud about them. Um, it's different for every person. I know for like some of my friends, they just like to sit and listen to music. But if I'm listening to music, I'm thinking about the words in the song and I'm not necessarily thinking about my, my character's mm-hmm. thoughts. And I like, and I like to be thinking about my character's thoughts. But uh, reading to helps because you get so involved in the story. Like I've been writing stuff, and I'll like start crying from things I'm I'm writing because I'm sad for my character, you know. Or even I remember when I did go to Golds, I used to read on the elliptical scripts. And I was like, I must look like an insane person, just like tears streaming down my face while I'm like reading on the elliptical. Right. But I think also you can like, a lot of the things they teach you are to just um, go more into the character's backstory. Like, what does this mean to them? And you're asking yourself these questions. And also just like, uh, if this doesn't happen, what does that mean for them? And when you start thinking about those kind of things, you can really get to a good place. But I do think it's important to, as an actor, to keep asking all of those kind of questions all the time. Like the same, like you asked me, like what is your why? Like what is your character's why? What what do they want? Why is this so important to them? And and if you start watching movies and looking for that, it's it's fun to see too. Definitely, yeah. And now, so you have uh, another movie that's coming out, or you're working on called Swiped, right? Or sorry, yeah, not, so, that was uh, um, was that the comedic pilot that you were working on? No, no, no. That's just a film I did in Florida where I play um, sort of like a bimbo girlfriend. <laughs> okay, gotcha. All right. Tell, yeah. tell us uh, a little bit about Swiped. Um, Swiped is about a college student who is super smart and he's trying to make friends. So these guys that aren't so great convince him to make this dating app for them. And the dating app is pretty raunchy in that like the girls need to be in their underwear but the problem is the kid's mom starts using the app and he's so horrified (laughs) that she would do this that he's like i have to shut this whole thing down this is awful um so it's like it's a little more adult than like chalk it up would be but it's very very funny and the woman who wrote it her name is ann fishman i did another movie with her called marriage material um where basically it's about a mom and a daughter that are both sort of dating and them dealing with each other. Very so, cool. Wait, now this yeah. is kind of random, but have you ever watched uh, This Is Us? Oh, I auditioned for This Is Us. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I, I read the pilot, or maybe I didn't get to audition, but I definitely read the pilot last year. And I remember it was one of the best pilots I'd read. And I think at the time it was called 35 or 36. They changed the title. Really? To This Is Us. Yeah. Holy shit, that is a... 
in, so here's how I stumbled across it, right? So I'm a huge fan of The Voice, right? And mm-hmm. for the same exact reason that kind of we're talking right now is I like to watch, you know, that story unravel behind each and every person. It's very cool how you can watch that evolved. And I just like the whole concept of the show. But anyways, after the show, uh, I think right after is when This Is Us comes on. And I think literally I must have sat there for like two minutes like watching it and before you know it you're kind of like hooked and and even though you want to stop watching it you're like I can't stop watching it and then next week the same exact thing happens and so I ended up watching the whole season and it's amazing so tell us I have not I have not watched the whole season so I won't be able to speak on that intelligently I did read the pilot and I there's like I said I read a lot of pilots for an actor and and I remember uh talking about that one and I was like this show is going to be amazing I was like I so want to be on this yeah Yeah. no you have to finish that season it is the okay it's such a like you said it's such a great story you know what I mean yeah and that's when you know it's good everybody in LA is talking about it so you know you know it's good when that kind of thing is happening right um all right so what's something that you think that most people take for granted in Life? Yes, anything. Or in acting. No, we're going through, we're, go- we're kind of broadening our horizon now. We're going to go with just life, anything. For first thing that comes to mind. Well, especially, I mean, I guess just living in America, but I guess that only applies to Americans. Just because I have traveled a lot, and every time I go back to America, I'm like, gosh, we have such abundance, and everything's easy, and we have really clean food, especially in Los Angeles. We have, like, yeah. the best food. And even when I went to Florida, I was like, mm, not as healthy and good as L.A. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's one of the things. And just like abundance and it's cheap and I don't know, it's super convenient. So I think that's something we take for granted. Okay. Uh, what is the best advice that you've ever received? Oh, the best advice I've ever received. I think it's – this sounds really cheesy, but it's it's something my – um there's two things. There's like a catchphrase my mom always has and my dad. So my mom, I would always ask her, do you think I'm going to do okay? And she'd say, I think you'd do great. And there's something about just knowing there's one person behind you that always mm-hmm. thinks you're going to do great. And, um, and then my dad, anytime I'd be like, how did you do that? His like go-to answer was talent, desire, and a never give up attitude. I like and that. <laughs> right. And so like, yeah, it's, it's it's talent if you have it. It's desire, which we all have, but it's the never give up attitude that really gets things done. Right. Very cool. Um, what are three things that you think that you think about more than the average person? Uh, my weight. I think about a ton. I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of girls out there, but sometimes I don't think people would be like, I think they'd be like grossed out by how much I'm like worried about it. <laughs> and... um I think about um, just like succeeding, honestly. Like mm-hmm. uh, I want to make it as an actor in LA. I want to be a household name, and um, and then I think about God all the time. I, I pray to Him. I I talk to Him. I just like I want Him to be there. I want I want there to be a heaven. I want to know that I'll be in His presence at some point right, uh, that's awesome. when I die. Um, what What do you think? It, it, do you think it's because the environment in Hollywood that makes you kind of think a lot about your weight? Like what, what is that like, you know, being a CrossFitter and being an actor in Hollywood? Like, do you have a lot of people that are in the same boat like that? Or are you, you know what I mean? Like how, how does that? Um, no, it's been one of the hardest things I've dealt with over the past eight years. Honestly, I've had, um, you know, uh, a manager that dropped me cause I was too muscular. My agents pretty much only send me out for like FBI or military girls and things like that because of being muscular. And I constantly struggle with just wanting to quit CrossFit and just try to be skinny, I guess with no muscles, mm-hmm. but it's so hard for me to do that. Cause CrossFit is the thing that makes me the happiest right now, besides when I'm working on acting jobs and like those are fewer far between you know Mm -hmm. so I go through this back and forth and there aren't I don't have that many actress friends that uh do CrossFit for that reason like they don't want to get um toned and it was funny like even I had an audition yesterday and I wore a maxi dress and I was like do you think I should wear a sweater and my friend's like no they're never gonna care and the first thing when I walked in the room the casting director was like oh my god your arms (laughs) And I was like, oh, and I'm like half the size of most of the CrossFit girls, right? right like, yeah. I weigh 120 on, on my biggest day. Um, 
like when I'm like just the most cut and ripped and big, you know, right. that's like what I weigh. And so it's such a weird in between place to be in. Cause I'm not, not strong enough to be like an individual. And then I'm not skinny enough to be like a quote, le- like lead actress looking type. Do you think that that's something that's kind of, uh, evolving or changing at the moment? No. And I think all the CrossFitters think it is because they're around it. But I think True. it's such a teeny, weeny, weeny, weeny percent of the real community that no. And and from what I see where I am, it's absolutely not changing. I don't see any girls um, that are playing, you know, that are these supposed to be the toughest girls with actual muscles. So how, I just don't. how do you recommend that people kind of deal with because this is kind of a universal theme it's not really just within acting but you know this is going on uh you know in in many other parts of the of the country and so you know women who kind of have that same internal self-talk like what do you recommend how do you deal with how do you deal with that I think for me it's like if I you know I go back and forth but I I am hopefully going to be one of the people that's an advocate for this change. You know, I think it's the same. It's not the same. It sounds terrible saying that, but like, you know, there had to be gay people on TV before, you know, gay people could be accepted and there Mm -hmm. had to be fat people on TV before fat people could be accepted. And so I just feel like people are going to have to see muscular women before it's going to be like, Oh, it's okay if I train and I'm health and a healthier person with muscles and I mean, it's fine for men right now. Like they can be muscular, but right. even like some of the men can't be too muscular, except for like maybe the rock. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, so I go back and forth cause I'm like, well, if it does happen for me and I do get to this level of success, it's going to be great for our, our community and for women in general to be able to be muscular. Um, but it also feels like a huge hindrance at, at the moment. So this is something that I think is, uh, really cool to kind of touch on it's a question that i've heard asked before but it's did you have a job that you loved or was your job in service of your passion so meaning you know to make the acting and the writing kind of work like or any any creative kind of deals with this when it comes to music or whatever it might be like you're doing you know whatever you need to do to kind of pay the bills but at the same time you've got this you know this passion the side hustle that's going on tell us a little bit about that um Yes, absolutely. I have a job that I love and I'm very lucky because I did not when I first started acting. I will probably went through 10 or 12 different mm-hmm. jobs. I was like a personal assistant. I've been a caregiver. I've I've hung Christmas lights on roofs. I've worked in a coffee shop. I've been a waiter. I've oh, so many so many things. And I was a teacher. I was a 7th grade English teacher. I, um, and I did not like any of those things. And then I found coaching CrossFit and I was like, holy crap, this is something I love and I can pursue acting at the same time. And it's awesome. And, and it's funny for me because like at my gym, almost every, um, coach there is pursuing something else too. Right. Yeah. Like acting or producing or writing. And then I go to gyms out of state where that's, their job and that's their career and I'm like so what else are you doing and they're like yeah I don't understand and it's so <laughs> funny to be in a, in a world where it's like oh right you don't you don't have to like do this job while you're pursuing something else right um like that's just what they love to do and they're gonna keep doing that I'm like oh right it's like you have to change your mindset and it's so funny so what do you feel like kind of carries you through while you're kind of doing that is this something that kind of really came naturally to you or is it something you had to develop and and like you said change your mindset over time uh, for which? For, uh, you know, kind of doing, uh, before you have like that, the job that you love, you know, you went through 10, 10 or 12 jobs, oh, like you said. Okay. So like getting, you know, carrying yourself through that while working at something you really want to do. How, how'd you kind of manage that? Um, honestly, it's a lot of just, you learn, like we joke in LA that we all have therapists and like, it's very accepted here. Whereas I sort of had a stigma about it when I lived in North Carolina, like only crazy people went to therapy. But when you're going to a town where it's constant rejection and that's what you're pursuing and like, you're not able to just X, Y, Z, be type A and get your goals done. Um, it does help to have someone to talk to. I definitely think, um, meditating works for people. Prayer works for me. I have my best friend that I like to call every day. And then writing has been one of the hugest, um, helpful things because writing makes you feel 
productive because you have something to look at at the end of the day and successful and, and you can always keep getting better at it too. And, uh, and so I think having, and the same with CrossFit, having, having something else where you can see the developments happening has helped. So I would say having your side hobbies as well as your, your pursuit. Very cool. And I think that writing is cool because it it gives you time to think, you know, like it it makes you kind of organize your thoughts. Uh, And something that I've talked a lot about that I think, you know, Brian Koppelman has definitely talked about, Tim Ferriss has talked about is morning pages. That's something that I've stuck with for like a good year now. And uh, it's definitely very cool to see, you know, the evolution of kind of like where I was at when I first started. And then now it's just, I don't know how to explain like, the value that you can get out of literally just writing down, doing like a brain dump, you know what I mean? Like whatever mm-hmm. is coming to your mind, just like writing it down. And it's funny how it will lead you to a host of other things that you might have never guessed. I agree. And I think even if you're if you're like for some people starting out, that just might seem like really intimidating. But I had a journal for a while that actually just sort of prompted you. And it was like, today I'm grateful for blank. Today, I would like to accomplish blank. Today, um, I'm going to do one nice thing for blank, you know? And then it gets you in this right headspace going into the day. You're like, oh, yeah, I wanted to do something nice for Christiana or, like, whatever, you know? Right. Yeah, like, that that whole prompt thing you just said, like, when you ask yourself a question, I think, it completely, like, changes the way that you would maybe answer something. And I don't have a great example off the top of my head, but, like, you know, when you're – instead of think sitting down and kind of being like, all right, I'm going to write three pages, if you were to kind of kick that off with, like, the simplest question ever, it's insane what that leads to. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very cool. All right. So now this doesn't have to be limited to just training or fitness, right? So let's say that you were a billionaire, okay? And okay. you had a staff of 40 people, right? And these 40 people are the top thinkers in whatever it is that you recruited them for, okay? So you've got a pretty kick-ass staff. What would you use that for? Like what type of oh. impact, what type of change, what do you want to use that for? This is so easy because I've thought about this a million times. Um, I would definitely have a production company and I would definitely be making TV shows and movies because I think those are a huge place for change. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Brooke and I have always wanted to do um, – once we make it big is, uh, we actually want to think for athletes where they're sort of coming off of athletic careers, be it professional or college or even high school where they can get help finding their identity again. Cause that's one of the things we think a lot of athletes, um, struggle with is sort of an identity crisis with like, now what am I? And, and I think that goes for like almost all adults. Like yeah. either you get, you're in a job maybe for 10 years and you're like, is this all I am and my job, you know? And like, so we've always wanted to have some sort of like a a foundation that can help people with that. And just like keeping your identity and finding positive ways to like change it and still find happiness. So if I was a billionaire, I'd be making TV shows, making movies, a lot of them with me in it. And, (laughs) (laughs) and I'd want to have, um, a really big foundation for that. And of course I'd want to give scholarships, um, to gymnasts so they could have full scholarships like I was blessed to have. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, now, let's say that you're still a billionaire, right? And you can mm-hmm. give two to three books to everybody in the nation. Uh, do you have, what would you give them? Oh, man, that is a hard question. <laughs> There's so many books that I've loved. Um, well, there's one. It's a love story. It was this book called Redeeming Love, but it really changed my life. And... Um, I would give that one to people. And then what's another one I would give to people? There's like all these books running through my head. I like want to look at my bookshelf and <laughs> cheat. And you don't have to be limited to just three if that's uh, making it really stressful for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm like just thinking so many books that I've loved. I, growing up, my favorite book was Dr. Doolittle. Isn't that nice. funny? Yeah. I just think like, Brooke and I are huge fans of um, young adult and kids books because like, mm-hmm. they just have great stories. These coming-of-age stories are so wonderfully told. Um, I probably I really benefited from The Purpose Driven Life, which was a huge one, and okay. uh, the, Al- the Alchemist oh, has been great. I've So I've listened to that once, but um, I need to like re-listen to it because I kind of heard in bits and pieces, but uh, it, is, it is a pretty good read. Yeah. It and so these are, these are all fiction, right? These are all fiction, yeah. Very and cool. a lot of them are f- faith-based. 
Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, now let's say you had to start over, right? And everything that you accomplished was gone and you wanted to get back to where you are now. What are maybe the one to three things that you would do to, that you would really maybe distill down your focus to and just kind of hammer away at? To get back to where I am currently? Yeah. In, in acting or in... Let's say, yeah, let's go with acting. CrossFit. Okay. Oh, gosh, there's a lot. Ugh. In acting, I'd say it's uh, getting headshots, really good headshots, getting a reel is huge, and getting an agent. Gotcha. Those okay. would be the three things. Very cool. It, CrossFit would obviously be very different. How would that be different? <laughs> um, I just think it would be like finding a box that you love with good friends around you. Okay. Um, and then it just like starting like that schedule going as often as you can gotcha okay uh is there something you feel like you don't get asked enough about something you wish people would ask you more um gosh that's a really cool question i mean i think i feel like people just sort of take it for granted that i'm like going on auditions all the time and um there's a lot of people that are more successful than me now, and I kind of wish they would ask, like, how can I help you, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And, I mean, because I would just love that because they're in these positions where I feel gross asking them, you know? Right, right. Because I, I don't want to feel, like, needy, and I've certainly asked plenty of favors, especially on Chalk It Up, like a joke that I've ran out of favors with all my close friends. But I think that would be super helpful, especially in the acting career area. Very cool. Tell us something about something that happened in Chalk It Up that nobody knows about. Um, Behind the scenes. There was a huge, uh, I don't even know if I should talk about this, but it was crazy. There was really bad racism. Um, really? We went to sh yeah, we went to shoot at this home, a community, a gated community, and we had all of our um, film uh, permissions in place. Uh, what's it called? Oh, I'm like blanking on the word, but we're like where you have permission to shoot there, basically. Gotcha. And we'd already had our permission to shoot there, and this community was like, they let me in and a couple of the other actors who were all white, and our director was black, and most of our uh, crew was black. And the security guard stopped them and said, We won't let those people into this community. This what? is in 2000, 2014 in Riverside, California. So wow. this is not like. We're not in like deep Alabama or something like <laughs> where like maybe there's still race. Like it was crazy. I'm like, yeah, what? And then we're like, what do you mean those people? And they're like, you know who we're talking about. And we're like, you mean black people? Like, wh and then they, that's what they were talking about. Yeah. And it was, we ended up having to, they allowed us to come in for a uh, half an hour and then we had to move all of the cars out of the community and then we got about one day of shooting and then we had to find all new locations which was a huge expense luckily the riverside community um film commission was awesome and helped us find new locations but we were supposed to shoot half of our film there so that's crazy right racism like and i was like oh my gosh i'm i've seen racism one other time which was in russia and I'd never experienced it other than that in my life. And it was really terrifying. And I was like, oh, I, I, I feel like it was like not good for me to experience. But I obviously am a white girl, so I haven't really ever experienced it. But to experience it where it was affecting me and seeing that happen to my friends, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. Well, it just gives you kind of like another lens. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I never experienced it before. Yeah, and the only other time I experienced, I was in Russia, and I had an Indian friend, and 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 they were so mean to him. Every time we'd go to the school, they would stop him and search him. Oh my they didn't want to let him. Yeah, they didn't want to let him into the school. And the only time he was okay is when he would come in with all of us at the same time. And he was supposed to go travel by himself. He canceled all his travel plans because he was too afraid. I'd be screwed because I'm Indian too. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, okay. Maybe it's better now. This was in 2000. So. Gotcha, all right. Uh, if the old new could see the new you, what would the new you say? Oh, gosh, the old you. What which, which quantifies the old me? Uh, let's say 18, when you were 18. When I was 18? Or 21, if let's I... go with 21. Okay, oh, gosh. Um, 
know. I think she'd 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 be pretty proud. She'd be like, You you've done some good stuff. Like stop being so hard on yourself. Like look back especially talking to you today makes me feel pretty good about a lot of the things <laughs> that I've accomplished and I put a lot of pressure because I'm like haven't had a family or kids and stuff like that and I just think it'd just be like, Hey, just keep going with the flow. Like you're you're making a career and you have a lot of great friends that surround you and um and and keep going, keep smiling. That's amazing. What uh, what should a coach or athlete take away from this podcast? How can they kind of make themselves better today by listening to this? And this can just be a simple, you know, meta message that you feel like, you know, you've learned that and that you feel is important to kind of pass along to people. Um, I think that there's there's good days and bad. I think that Instagram and social media especially portray lives as always happy all the time. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to know, like, everybody you're watching has good days and bad days. I mean, my friend Andrea Ager that most people know who has, like, what, 500,000 followers, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I lived with her for three years and, like, you know, there's days where she'd come home crying to me about things and, and, and I just don't, I just feel like people shouldn't beat themselves up if you have a bad day. It's okay and just let that be, but then, you know, try to be as positive you can about the next one. So like, like you said, just even starting off the day with some writing and being like, um, how can I make this a great day? And what am I grateful for in my life can set you in that good mindset. And I think for coaches, especially it gets hard because you are kind of therapists to a lot of athletes a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and athletes, I think it can be hard because you're always comparing yourself to other people. Mm-hmm. And, and so just, um, just keep comparing yourself uh, to what you've done, and, and that's going to make you feel better in the long run. Yeah, and I think like – so that's I guess a huge reason of why I like to dig into like the dark days and the struggles with like everybody that comes on is because I think if there's one thing that I've realized in the last couple of years, it's like you know those struggles and those, you know, those dark days, those are the things – those are the moments in time where like people have like the biggest growth and where I think you learn the most. Um, and so it's one of those things like instead of focusing on end result that we kind of, everybody focuses on anyways, that's kind of how we, uh, how we may have heard about the person in the first place. But instead of that digging into process and really kind of like asking what did it take to kind of, you know, do what you're doing now. I think that's very cool. Yeah. And there's like, who was it that has the great quote that's like people at the end of the day aren't going to remember what you did but how you made them feel, you know? I've heard that. I I don't know exactly what that is. But like I think about that even with the Open. I'm really, really hard on myself. I stress about it like crazy. And like in years past, I've just been not fun to be around. And then I think of like my teammates like Amanda who Mm -hmm. like finishes and no matter how she does, she's so positive. Or I have a new friend, Lauren, who's like that. Yeah. And at the end of any workout, she like – we had a crazy competition and she kept failing handstand walks and she was just so positive at the end. And, and, and then I was like, gosh, she always makes me feel good. And I was like, I need to start looking at that and, and, and portraying that in my own life. Like I'm hard on myself, but that's, that's so silly. Cause it's just the way I feel, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So that's one of my goals this year too, is just to like not be so hard on myself and just make it more fun and, and focus on other people. Definitely. Very cool. So how can we support your journey? You know, where can we point people to? Where can they learn more about you? Um, if they can, please put five stars on Chalk It Up uh, and, on and this is on Netflix. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. The more, even if you don't watch Chalk It Up, if you could just stream it, that would be great. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> watching it is even better. Um, but that's going to help us out a ton because then hopefully we can do other movies with Netflix because they'll be like, oh my gosh, so many people are watching this show. Um, then they'll want to make our other projects for us. And, um, I think supporting me that way would be the the biggest thing right now in my life. And then hopefully if our TV show show goes, watch it. Very cool. Uh, (laughs) and, uh, we can find you where on Instagram, are you active? Where, where do people, uh, that's pretty much all I use is Instagram. Instagram. I don't know how to do all the Snapchats and everything, but it's Maddie Curly on Instagram and uh and then I always connect it to my Facebook but I don't even look at Facebook I really just look at Instagram gotcha all right so I'll get all that linked up um well all right well I want to acknowledge you and I want to thank you for having this conversation with me something I've been trying to do the last couple episodes and I want to do more of is make it less interviewing and more kind of just a conversation and just let it go you know where it yeah. goes. so uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it and uh I've been wanting to chat with you about this for quite a while so it's exciting 
No, you were great. Those are fun questions, like some that really made me think. Now I'm going to like want to, I mean, I know I'm going to think of the three books that I want to tell you too. And I'm going to be like, wait, wait, these are my real answers. Awesome. Well, thank you. And if you think of them, uh, let me know and I will update it and get it linked up in the show notes. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I know you're probably driving right now or doing something else, but don't forget to head over to theairbornemind.com and grab your free movement audit checklist. If you want to check out some of the details behind the Mobility Through Movement program, you can see that either in the show notes or at theairbornemind.com slash MTM. And if you really enjoyed this episode, remember the best compliment you can give is by sharing it with somebody else who might enjoy it, sharing it somewhere on the web, or heading over to iTunes and leaving us a review. That would be phenomenal. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, I always love hearing from you guys. Thank you so much once again for joining me. Until next time.